I was, I was chilly until that smooth fusion jazz started, and I was like, you take that jacket off, it's getting warm in here. Say, if that doesn't make you want to get baptized. Uh, <laughs> all weekend, I've been enjoying that. I, so much, I think I'm going to talk Kyle and, and Mitch into to maybe doing like a fusion jazz-inspired worship night, our next one this year. Maybe, maybe, maybe Mitch can learn like clarinet or flute or something like that. Some jazz flute thrown in there, be good. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for being here. So uh, if you've never been in church here before, what we do is a couple of times a year, we take a break from going through the, the verse-by-verse teaching through whatever book we're in. We're in the Gospel of John right now, and we do uh, a couple of baptism services, and this is very, very important. And um, you, know, you know, Jesus, and I'll go over this today, Jesus told the church to do three things, just three things. And it had nothing to do with being famous or building big buildings or any of that. It was make disciples, baptize them, teach them. That was it. That's what the church is supposed to do. So this is, this is one of the most important things that the church is supposed to be doing. Not just this church, all churches. So here's, here's my hope for today. If you've never been to one of our baptism services, um, maybe you've already been baptized, and that's, that's wonderful, that's fine. But hopefully you can learn a little bit more about why baptism is such a, a big deal in, in the Christian walk. And hopefully if you run into a situation where someone asks you about it or asks about your baptism or whatever the case may be, that um, hopefully after today you can biblically explain why baptism is, is such a mon- you know, monumental step in the life of a Christian. And, and then the big reason why we do this is hopefully if you are uh, someone who has accepted Christ, but you have not taken this step, I hope that by the end of this lesson, I will have convinced you by showing you different parts in the Bible uh, that, that Christians are supposed to be baptized, that this is something that we should do. So um, anyways, glad you're here today. You should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna talk about will be in there. Um, everything will be on the screens behind me. Those of you who've been coming to church here for, for many, many years, um, Thank you guys for listening to this lesson over and over and over again. But, <laughs> got applause. Uh, the, but I, I, I seriously, I wanna tell you thank you because even if you've heard this lesson a dozen times, it's a big deal that we come and celebrate with people who, who get baptized. And um, that's a really, really big deal. These are our brothers and sisters, right? This is like welcoming in a new family member, if you will, and we'll go over all that. So, like I said, last week, we were in the Gospel of John. We'll be back in that uh, this coming weekend. Where we left off, and it's interesting that baptism is inserted right here. What we talked about last week in John is that when all of us inevitably have that point in our life where we cross paths with God, we have to make a decision. There is no neutral in a relationship with God. You're either walking with God or we're not walking with God. Jesus even says this, right? You're either with me or you scatter away from me. That's what he says. So. And if we are walking with God, that leads into baptism. It is the, the, the normal biblical response when one chooses to walk with Jesus that we take this public profession of, of baptism, okay? So that's what we'll talk about. All right, so uh, if you'll bow your heads with me, we'll pray. I'll teach on baptism. We will get through it really, relatively quickly. Um, we'll invite you guys. We'll always take communion like we always do. You're welcome to do that. We'll have someone up here if you have questions. And then, of course, you'll be able to walk through these doors after service, get changed, get, you, get, get clothes for you, and you can come over here and, and get baptized today too. And you guys are welcome to crowd around and, and watch that if you want. So again, thank you guys for being here. How's the weather outside? Is the sun out? 
Good, that's a good thing. I like the sun. Um, all right, let me pray. I'm rambling. I'm just happy to see you guys. All right. Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for everyone in this room, God. We thank you uh, for the wonderful worship night that we got to have Friday. We thank you uh, for all the people who've gotten baptized uh, so far this weekend. We thank you, Lord, for this church, and we pray that you bless this church, God. We pray not only for this church, though, Father, we pray for every single church in our city. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those cities, Lord. We pray for the wonderful nonprofits that we've gotten to partner with, and especially the ones we've gotten to partner with this month, Lord. And Father, we just pray that everything we do today, as we talk about baptism, Lord, that it honors you, and that we are obedient to you, God, and that we respond to you in the way we're supposed to. And I pray for all the people who choose to get baptized today, God, that, that you just bless them, protect them, keep them safe, Lord. We love you, we thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when it comes to baptism, baptism is not an overtly complicated thing. It, it is our public display that we have chosen to become a Christian, which is, which is pretty simple. The Bible says this is where we become a new man or a new woman, which you know, alludes us to, or, or leads us to believe that that's a big deal. The Bible says this is where we're brought to life. Uh, the way I think about baptism, and I used to think that I was original in this, and I found out I'm not the only one that uses this analogy, uh, so I'm not as smart as I thought I was, is I think about baptism as, as almost like a wedding ring. That This is not my marriage, right? This thing I wear on my, my left hand is not my marriage. It is symbolic of the fact that I am dedicated to one person until death do us part. That's, that's what that means what it should mean, right? That we are dedicated to this person until death do us part. Baptism is much in the same, same manner. It has a lot of the same symbolism. This is where we are taking on our husband's name. We are the bride of Christ, the church, and this is kind of that ceremony, if you will, where we are taking on the name of Christ. So again, that is not our salvation, but it is a representation of the fact that we are saved, okay? So it is also probably the most clear identifier is us being, of us being adopted into the family of God. And so because if you choose to get baptized today, and don't let this discourage you from this, you're essentially saying to all your brothers and sisters in Christ, hold me accountable. Make sure that I am living the way that Christ wants me to live. You're making it a very public statement. So there should be a visible turning point in our lives. Not that we're perfect, we're gonna talk about that a lot this morning. We'll still make mistakes. But just like when we give our life to Jesus, there should be a turn. When we repent for our sin and start to move away from evil things that we do, there should be a turn. And when we make a public profession to, to Jesus Christ, that we should continue to be gravitating more towards Jesus, living more like Jesus, talking more like Jesus, and we're growing in that relationship, okay? So if you're in here this morning and you're like, I am not convinced, Corey, I am not convinced that Christians have to do this whole baptism thing. Well, let me show you some evidence from the Bible uh, to help support that claim that baptism is a very, very big deal in the walk of a believer. The first one is that Jesus got baptized, that he set the example. Now, when Jesus came onto the scene, if you have never read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, there's some wild stuff in the Old Testament. If you have never read the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the way that the followers of God reconciled themselves with, with God is annually, once a year, they would have to make a sacrifice. And I'm so glad we don't have to do this anymore. You would have to get an animal. You'd have to kill it. Anyone else get squeamish at blood? Anybody? 
You'd have to kill an animal. You'd have to pour the blood over an altar. You would burn certain parts. You would eat certain parts. You would go through a pretty arduous process. And what that sacrifice did is it didn't alleviate you of your sin. It rolled it forward to the following year when you had to do that again. So here's what happened. When Jesus came onto the scene in, in, in the New Testament, when he came onto the scene, imagine all of the evil and the sin that had been compounded over the centuries when Jesus came onto the scene. Jesus comes onto the scene to be the ultimate sacrifice to pay for all of the spiritual debt of the past, all the spiritual debt of the present when he was there, and then all of the spiritual debt that would be accrued in the future. So no longer do we have to make the sacrifice. Jesus came and became that sacrifice. Now, part of how we are reconciled to God now is different than it was in the Old Testament. We don't have to slaughter an animal. Now what we do is we believe in him and we believe in what he did at the cross. We repent for our sin and we are baptized as a public profession of our faith. And this restores our relationship with God. It opens up the door for us to get closer to him, to be more like him. We are saved in this process. And this is very simple for us. Now this started when Jesus got baptized. This, this way of being reconciled with God started to change. John the Baptist, which a lot of you who come to church here are familiar with him because we're doing the Gospel of John. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Jesus shows up one day, walks into the river, approaches John the Baptist and says, I want you to baptize me. Now you can imagine if you're John and you know that Jesus is God in the flesh, that's a little intimidating. And so he, he said something along the lines of, I'm, I'm not worthy to do that. He was confused as to why he would be chosen to do this. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, allow it for now. What, what he's saying is, John, I want you to do this because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants us to do. So John allowed it. Of course he did, right? And when he baptized Jesus, it says Jesus came up out of the water, the skies opened up, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and then they heard the voice of God say, this is my son, and I am well pleased. I am well pleased. That is very, very important. So if you're in this room and we're talking about baptism, you're probably like, well, what the heck? Why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't have any sin. He didn't have anything to ask for forgiveness for. So why did he do this? He did this to set the example for us, to show us that when God tells us to do something, we have to be obedient to God if we claim to be followers of God. That's pretty simple. The other thing we learn is this. This is wonderful. Jesus will not ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. Isn't that cool? Even if Jesus asks us to give our lives, he has already given his life for us. He will never ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first. And we also learn in this that baptism pleases our heavenly father. And that is very, very important. Another piece of evidence about baptism, let's move a little bit further in through the New Testament. In the book of Acts, it talks about baptism and maybe one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. What happens is this, throughout the entire Bible, there are promises that God makes. These are, these are conditional promises. What that means is there's so many times throughout the Bible, God says, if you do this, whatever that is, I will do this, conditional promises. And we find one of those in the book of Acts. Now, if you've never read the book of Acts, this is where the church is born. And we see 
as you read through the New Testament, that salvation is more than just a one-time event. Salvation is a process. It's, it's a relationship. And through this relationship, we are sanctified. We are, we are set apart for God to use us. And when we're obedient to God, there are promises that God gives us that are activated in our life. One of those is in Acts chapter two. The promise that, that Peter talks about, and I'm gonna read it to you here in a second. Peter says, when we repent for our sin, when we ask God to forgive us, when we are baptized as a public profession of our faith, the Holy Spirit will empower us. It will fill us and empower us, and we can live in a way that pleases God. Now, if you don't believe me, it's, it's right there in Acts chapter two. The setting for this was about 50 days after Jesus Christ had been crucified and resurrected, the day of Pentecost, there was all the followers of Jesus, not all, but you know, about 100 and so, were up in this upper room, and they were told by Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, to wait for him, to wait for the Spirit. And so they were waiting in this room. They were praying. I'm sure some of them were fasting. They were, they were just expecting God to do something. And it says in Acts chapter two that the Holy Spirit comes into the room, floods the room, fills them all up with the Holy Spirit. They, they spill out onto the streets of Jerusalem, and the Christians are worshiping and they're speaking in tongues that they weren't supposed to know. People from all over the world were in town for this festival and people were seeing the people of, of Jesus, the Jesus followers worshiping in the streets and they're like, man, this is really weird. Are they drunk or something? And Peter hears that people are talking about this and Peter gets up in front of a massive crowd and he says, they're not drunk like you think. They're not crazy. There's nothing wrong with these people. Peter says, what you are witnessing is the Holy Spirit of God being poured out on his followers. Now, the Jewish people were expecting this to happen one day. In, in, the, in, the, in the book of Joel in the Old Testament that was written about seven, 800 years before Jesus came, it said that one day God would do this. And Peter told the crowd, this is what you're witnessing. You are seeing prophecy fulfilled. God is pouring out his spirit on his people. And in a very important part of the New Testament, the people ask Peter, how can this be happening? And Peter says, it's because God sent his son, Jesus. He was crucified because you guys had him arrested, but he didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day and he is pouring out his spirit on us right now. And again, maybe one of the most important questions in the entire Bible in Acts chapter two, the people hear what Peter says and, and they, 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 they wanna know more. And they say, we, okay, we believe you. We believe that Jesus is the Savior. And then they say, now what do we do? This is very important. Now what do we do when we understand that Jesus is the Savior? And Peter said, repent. And not only ask God to forgive you, get away from evil. Get baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what does he say? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is a promise. It's a promise for you. It's a promise for your kids. It's a promise for people who don't even know about the promise yet. And Acts says, with many other words, he testified and he strongly urged them, be saved from this corrupt generation. Now look, this blue part's very, very important. And so those who accepted the message, what was the message? The message was that Jesus is the Savior. It's the gospel, right? That the kingdom has come. Those who accepted the message, what did they do? They were baptized. That is very straightforward. And about that day, 3,000 people, the church is born in Acts chapter two. Really, really neat. So here's the thing. If you're new to this church, I hope we do a good job with this. I think we do. Um, we as a church don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we just need to be educated about the Holy Spirit. 
That's why Paul says in Acts, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians, he says, we just don't need to be ignorant about this. Brothers and sisters, don't be ignorant about the Holy Spirit. And he explains the different gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have at our disposal if we are being obedient to God. Things like the gift of wisdom and discernment and knowledge and courageous faith and even things like speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And you may not have those particular gifts, but these things are still readily available for those who, who follow Christ. Not only that, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, things like peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, that these things come from the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. If we're being obedient, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we just need to be educated by the Word of God how the Holy Spirit is a blessing in our life. And not just our life, it advances the kingdom of God and it blesses other people around us, okay? All right. The next piece of evidence is, is pretty, pretty easy to understand, pretty easy to see, is that Jesus tells the church to baptize people. I don't know if anyone else is like this. Any, any like youngest siblings in here? I'm a youngest, right? We can be pretty awful sometimes, younger, younger siblings. A little rebellious, just wanna make our own mark and push back on stuff. I remember when Coldplay came out, I bought their first album, really liked it. And then everyone bought their second album and I'm like, man, yeah, done with Coldplay, right? Because everyone started liking them. I don't know if anyone else is like this. It took me like six years to watch Stranger Things because it was popular. Finally started watching it. Still not done with it, but uh, I don't know if anyone else is like that. Now listen, we can all be a little naturally rebellious, but when it comes to being a Christian, even if sometimes we initially push back on other things, when it comes to the word of God and our relationship with Jesus, sometimes we need to stop arguing with Jesus, stop trying to outsmart the Bible and debate the word, and we just need to do what it tells us to do. We just need to do what it tells us to do. Now listen, I cannot explain to you everything about baptism, but I can explain to you the great commission of Jesus Christ, which is very, very simple. The last thing Jesus told his, his followers before he ascended into heaven in physical form, the last thing he ever told his followers was this, very simple. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them everything that I taught you. That's pretty simple. It is amazing how far the church, especially in the United States, has gotten from the very simple commands of Jesus. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. And then he says, remember I am with you to the end of the age. He is referring to that spirit that was going to fill these people up in Acts chapter two. That's how he is with us now. So if we are being the church, truly being the church, we are to be making disciples, baptizing and teaching. And then Jesus goes on in the Gospel of John, we'll get to this here in a couple of weeks, in chapter 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And the Great Commission is a very important command straight from Jesus himself. Make disciples, baptize, teach. And if we as a church are not filling that, or fulfilling that Great Commission, we can't as a church body say that we are loving Jesus properly. We cannot do that. You guys are super quiet out there. Everybody good? Good? After that, after, after that smooth jazz, everyone's just kind of chilled, right? <laughs> Another piece of uh, evidence, and it may be one of the, one of the, the neatest parts, I, I think, is the fact that baptism symbolizes a resurrection, our resurrection. So baptism symbolizes us dying to our old self and a new self being resurrected. In fact, one of the reasons why I think the Bible uses the word baptizo, that means to submerge in water, is because it's very symbolic of a death being buried, right? 
and then a resurrection coming out of that grave. Now, when we come out of that water, we're not gonna be perfect. We're still gonna have struggles. We might still be tempted by things. We may still even attend, uh, uh, occasionally fall to those temptations. But according to the Bible, post our baptism, we are labeled as new creations. Now, if you are in this room and you've never heard me say this before, this is very, very important, and it's, it's one of my pet peeves. I hate it because it's not biblically accurate when Christians refer to themselves as dirty, rotten sinners. Man, we're just dirty, rotten sinners. Biblically speaking, if you are born again, no, you are not. You are not labeled that anymore. I'm gonna read it to you again if you don't believe me because the Bible says we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer under sin's claims. That is not our identity anymore. Another argument that I think Christians get into and I think it's really, really silly, Christians have a tendency to, to make silly arguments with each other, is we argue over the fact that can we be born a certain way? And I know right now you're probably thinking about a particular hot button issue going on right now. And people will ask, well, Corey, do you think you can be born that way? And so there are some people, the same people who say you cannot be born with that propensity to sin are the other people who also make the argument, well, I was just born with a fiery temper, right? Redheaded, like to cuss at people sometimes. Just born that way. It's okay to be redheaded. It's not okay to cuss at people. You're welcome, you're welcome. It's... <laughs> It's not okay to get mad, lose your temper, and swear at people. That is not right. The Bible says that blessings and cursings should not come out of the same mouth. So just because you were born with a bad temper, does that mean you're supposed to live in that? No. Just because we were born with a propensity to commit certain sexual sin, are we supposed to live in that? No. This is why Jesus told a very wise man named Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Listen, don't waste your time with the argument of, do you think you can be born that way? Give in. Yes, you can be born that way. You can be born with all kinds of propensity to sin. That's not the question. The question is, do you believe you need to be born again? That is the real kicker. And so we have to believe that we can be born again, that our identity is not the same once we give our life to Jesus Christ. Paul writes this. Romans chapter six has become one of my favorites. Are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk, this is important, in a newness of life, in a newness of life. Now, we're not perfect yet, but we are not what we used to be. We are a new creation. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we will be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Look at it. For we know that our old self was crucified. Just a dirty, rotten sinner, wrong. That person is dead. That is dead, crucified. So that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims. The old self is dead. There is a new self. Now again, does that mean you're perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect until we're in heaven doesn't mean that you're not gonna make mistakes, but it means that we are no longer slaves, listen, to living a lifestyle of perpetual sin. We are freed from that. We can be delivered, and I'm bothered that more churches don't talk about deliverance, and we can be changed, permanently changed. The whole point of salvation, listen, 
The whole, the whole point of salvation is taking us off a road that leads to destruction and putting us on a road that leads to eternal life. That's the whole point of being saved, is a change. <laughs> That's the whole point. And with that, on the, on the heels of that, comes the fact that we have a new identity. Now listen, there's nothing magical about the, the act of baptism. There's nothing magical about that water. It's just Murfreesboro water. Probably has a lot of calcium in it. God knows what from that mountain down the road, you know. I'm just joking. It's, it's probably not that bad, but it is warm. So uh, there's nothing magical about that water. There's nothing, there's nothing magical that, that I or anyone else can say to, to save you. There's no way we can thwart your salvation by not saying the right eloquent words. It is the genuineness of the person's heart getting into that water that is important. If they're truly repentant and truly giving their life to Christ, that's what is important. All that being said, though, it is important that we pray for you. Now, again, if, if you do someone's baptism today, if you're new to our church and you've never been to a baptism service, we let anyone baptize anyone. If, if you're in here and, and you brought someone to church and they got saved because you kind of helped to lead them, you baptize them. It's more special that way. If you wanna baptize your spouse or your children, or we've seen many children baptize their, their parents over the years, which is pretty awesome to watch, we let you do that. Now, listen, if you do that today, you don't have to have a bunch of fancy words. You don't have to be able to, you know, quote something amazing from Deuteronomy or something like, you don't have to do anything like that. If you just get up there and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, that is sufficient. The, the name of Jesus is sufficient. And if we will just pray, because that is the identity, that is the, that, that is the, 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 the persona, if you will. This is the name that we are taking on, is the name of Christ. And that is so important to know that. In, in a time like ours, listen, this scripture was written almost 2,000 years ago. Paul wrote this, and it was so far ahead of its time. Now, he did write it during the Roman Empire, where a lot of the things we're struggling with in America, they struggled with in the Roman Empire in the first couple of centuries. Um, but this is so far ahead of its time. Paul said this, when it comes to being Christians, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, so if you've been baptized, you have been clothed with Christ. That means that is your identity. Christian, that is your identity. He says it's not Jew or Greek. It's not American, Mexican, Canadian, German, Italian. That, that's not your identity. It's not slave or free. It's not how much money you have in the bank or your, your liberties or your affluence. It's not male or female. It's not all about your gender. Again, look at the things that we're going through nowadays. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus. The, the, the problem with our society right now, and this is not just any one group of people. This is a lot of us. The reason why our society is so aggressive, the reason why we are so uh, uh, angry and why we're so depressed and why we're so confused and why we're so hyper offended in our culture is because we keep trying to find our identity in absolutely everything except for the one thing that we are made in the image of. And that's, listen, that's why you as a Christian, you don't have to get so hyper offended. Christians get way too offended too. If you are secure with who you are and your identity in God, you don't have to get offended at everything. You don't have to get offended every time someone disagrees with you or says something that you don't like. Doesn't mean that we cave or agree with things that don't go along with this book, but we don't have to be so hyper offended because we should know who we are. So salvation essentially is us identifying with our creator above all things. Now listen, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong. If you're a woman in here, I have two daughters. I was raised by a single mom. I have a wife. I guess that makes sense. Like I even have a girl dog. Like I am all about, 
I want my daughters to, to, to grow up being strong women, proud of who they are as strong women. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong uh, of being proud of your African-American heritage or your Spanish-American heritage or what. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if we have been baptized, first and foremost, we must remember above all things, we are Christians. We are Christians above all things. That is extremely important, okay? So here's, here's the big question. This is the last one, and this is what, what everyone asks, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag. I absolutely hate this question. People say, well, Corey, do you have to be baptized to be saved? I'm gonna answer that with the scripture, and I'm really not gonna answer that question at all, but I'm gonna show you a scripture here. Peter writes this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Let, let me explain what that means. What Peter is saying is the act of baptism is not what saves you. It is you making a conscious pledge to live for God and that saves you. It is you choosing to be obedient. It is you, all the stuff we have talked about today. There's nothing about the water. There's nothing magical about that. What Peter's saying is baptism is a pledge of a good conscience towards God. I am saying to the world around me, I am following Jesus, and following Jesus saves you. That is what he is saying. So listen, salvation is more than an event. Salvation is how we live. Salvation is a relationship. And though, I'll tell you what I personally believe, and if you disagree with this, that's totally fine. I believe you are saved at conversion. When you have faith and you, you wholeheartedly give your life to Jesus, I believe, Ephesians 1.13, you, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are saved. But in obedience, anyone who gives their life wholeheartedly to Jesus will walk in obedience and they will get baptized. So people ask me, Corey, and this is my response, They'll say things like, Corey, do you think you have to go to church to be saved? Do you think you have to be baptized to be saved? Do you think you have to do this and this and this and this and this to be saved? And my response now is simply, do you think you have to be obedient to Jesus to be saved? Amen. And they'll say yes, and I'll say, well, Jesus told us to do all those things. So take that however you want. Baptism shows the world that we are making a pledge of good conscience to follow Jesus Christ. So here is the thing with that. All throughout the Bible, there is a very normative response. That's a, that's a fun word, isn't it? Normative response when people hear about Jesus and they accept that Jesus is the Savior. The normative response is one that they, they believe. What I mean by believe is, if I tell you Jesus is, was, was God incarnate, he was here on the earth, he lived and died and rose again for our sins, and you say, I believe that. That's where it starts. And then if we truly believe that, we will naturally repent of our sin. We will ask God to forgive us of our sin and we will want to get away from the things that, that put Jesus on that cross, okay? And then biblically speaking, whenever people do those things and going back to Acts 2.38, they're baptized. And then I got these out of order and then they live in a daily faith that they trust Jesus every single day. And I'm not trying to be a jerk, but the big popular thing right now on social media and stuff is, well, what about the thief on the cross, Corey? He wasn't baptized. I don't think he had a choice. It's, it's a terrible, listen, guys, I love you. It's a terrible argument. The argument now is, well, the thief on the cross never went to church. 
Well, so if we're gonna trade it and play that game, I guess if you're willing to be nailed to a cross, maybe Jesus will let you get out of church. <laughs> maybe he'll let you get out of baptism. But we're not nailed to a cross. We have the freedom to do this. So those are anomalies. Now, if you take every anomaly out of the Bible and try to make them a, you know, a universal truth all the time, there was a talking donkey in the Old Testament. Now, if you walk up on a farm and you're like, hey, buddy, tell me something good to a donkey, you're not gonna get anything. That was an anomaly. That is not the normative response of donkeys. You guys aren't gonna remember a darn thing about baptism today. It's gonna be all about, Corey said we're supposed to go to a zoo and talk to the animals. That's, that's. Here, here's, here's why I hate the question of do I have to be baptized to be saved? If you and I in this room even have a, a rudimentary understanding of what the cross was, if we even have a rudimentary understanding of, of how much grace and love and compassion Jesus has bestowed upon us, if we understand that, I'm telling you just a little bit, which I think is about the best we can do to, to, to understand God's grace and love for us, if we understand that just a little bit, and if our response to that grace and love and compassion is, oh, what's the bare minimum I can do to please you? I'm gonna tell you there's a, bigger, there's a bigger issue. There's a bigger issue. There's a heart issue when we start finding ourselves, when we start finding ourselves asking how little we can do. If you were to walk up to your spouse and go, hey, can you tell me the bare minimum and, and us not get divorced? I hope you have a, a really good couch. So it's not gonna go, it's not gonna go so hot. So here's the thing, not just with baptism, guys, with, with everything when it comes to this book, when it comes to us living in a relationship with Jesus, I pray that none of us find ourselves saying, do I have to do this? Do I have to serve? Do I have to give? Do I have to be at church? Do I have to have a community? Do, do I have to do these things? I hope we never find ourselves in that mindset. I hope that we can mature as believers and find ourselves saying, Lord, you have done so much for me, even if I don't have to do it. If it pleases you, what more can I do for you? What more can I do for you, okay? That's where I hope that we find ourselves. And listen, if you are in this room today and, and you have not been baptized, I don't wanna guilt you into that. I don't wanna manipulate, manipulate you into that. But I do wanna ask you this. What has stopped you from this? What, what, what has stopped you from taking this step? It will be a blessing in your life. I'm telling you, God honors obedience. And you will see the Spirit of God work in your life more if we are more obedient to what the word tells us to do. So if you're in this room and you've already, you've already been baptized or, or maybe you are in this room and you are, you are searching, maybe you have questions, you have an opportunity to respond in this service as well. The first thing is this. Up here on my right, your left, there'll be someone up here in a moment that if you are in this room and you're just digging, maybe you're not a Christian yet, but you're on a journey, you have questions, we may not have every answer to everything, but up here on my right, Pastor Muhammad, what a wonderful guy to be up here to come talk to. If you wanna come up here and talk to Pastor Muhammad, he would love to, to, to talk with you, answer any questions that we can answer, okay? The second thing is what we've been talking about today. Listen, if you have not been baptized, take a couple of moments here in a second, pray about it, and if it's not something you've done, I just pray that you listen to God on this. We will have clothes back there. We'll have towels. The water is warm. We'll pray with you. We'll take your information. Make sure you don't get lost in the shuffle. We'll do everything we can to stay in touch with you. But you can have the opportunity to walk through here and, and we'll get you set up for baptism. 
And then the last thing is this, and I, guys, again, this is something I never want our church to take for granted. Every single weekend, we have the opportunity to come in here, hear the word of God, and all the way around the room, on all the posts, and all the way around the room on the tables, we have bread and wine that represents the crucified Christ. The fact that he gave his body and his blood to save our souls, to forgive our sin, to, to restore us to God, that we all have the opportunity to take a moment and if we have anything in our lives that we need to ask for forgiveness for, we need to do that. Or maybe it's just a time for you to sit and thank God for all he's done for you. And we can take communion and, and we can start our week strong, okay? Let me pray for you and then I'll invite you to, to take whatever step you need to take this morning. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for everyone in here. Lord, I thank you for the people who've heard this lesson dozens of times and they still come back, God, to... Uh, to encourage others who are taking this step. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you, God, for everyone in this room that, that might be taking this step this morning. Maybe they were baptized at an age where it wasn't their choice, or maybe they have never done this, God. And I just pray that you bless them, that you give them strength, Lord, that you walk with them. And Lord, if, if maybe they're nervous or, or intimidated by this, Lord, I pray that you just alleviate that. Take that away from them, God. And Lord, let them make this step. Father, we love you. Thank you for your son, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Keep your hand on everyone on this room, in, in this room, God, as we go back out and we go back out to our jobs and our schools and our families and our friends, that you would just keep us spiritually safe and mentally safe and physically safe, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself however you, uh, however you need to.